Welcome into the first episode of Crunch Time in the year 2024. I can't believe it, man. This is years have been flying by. How you well, doing? It's only been three or four days, three days. So yeah, it's been good. It's been uh, an interesting schedule over the last 10 days, not having to work and having to take some time off to refocus on some schoolwork and stuff. But it's been a good break. Been uh, pretty relaxing. I'm not going to lie. Uh, early mornings with World Juniors, but uh, nonetheless, it's. Uh, I think I'm ready to get back to a routine starting next week. So good to see you, Joe. How was the New Year's? Uh, New Year's was good, man. Uh, got to hang with family, friends, that type of thing. What about you? Mostly my little guy and I just hung out, chilled, didn't do too anything crazy, shot some guns, had some Christmas, did some traditional things, went to go see a couple movies. So, yeah, good stuff. Did you get everything you want for Christmas? I only need one thing for Christmas, and that's it. I just need to be with my little guy. That's all I need. Peace yep. on earth. <laughs> everything. Uh, that, that's someone else's job, not mine. <laughs> I, just, I just want to make sure my son has a good Christmas, which he did, and uh, we had a good time planning things and having, I mean, we do, I enjoy the family time, like the close time with my family. It gets a chaotic, just the four or five of us. And that's it. That's all I need. I'm a simple man like that. I guess the one thing over this break that shocked me was Canada being eliminated from the world junior championship. And, and I say this because hockey Canada, it just goes together, right? You, you think every year it's, USA, Canada, or Canada, Finland, or Canada, Sweden. No, it, Canada got knocked out. Was this just a bad roster for Canada, or was it? Well, Joe, you're talking in the past tense. I mean, you bring up classic matchups that occurred 10 years ago. If you look in the last decade, yeah, Canada's won five of those World Juniors. The United States have won three, and Sweden's won two. So, or Finland, sorry. But you look at that and say they've done, they've won 50% of the last World Juniors in the last decade. And they went back to back the last two years. And there's a lot of chirp about, you know, you know, we can only look hate naysay. We can always look back and say, oh, we should have done this and we should have done that. And we should have had this player and should have had that player. And why didn't this goaltender start? And who was coaching this team really and all that jazz? There's three things that have to happen for any team to be successful in a World Junior Hockey Championship each year. Number one is who's going to lead this team? Who is the leader of this team? And when you consider the fact that nobody really, <coughs> excuse me, stepped up to the plate and said, I'm going to lead this Canadian roster to a championship, they all were second, third fiddles. I mean, Maxim Potros was the one player that everybody hung their hat on because he had played with the Boston Bruins for most of the year. And he was supposed to be this, you know, a descendant from the NHL because there's all this wonderful experience. Well, he, all he did was complain about not having good chemistry or good line mates or how it wasn't able to fix. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Number two is the experience on this roster. Canada had one player that came back from last year's gold medal team. Owen Beck played a game and a half. He wasn't even playing in the whole roster. And then thirdly is the chemistry. I brought that up in the first point. You don't have, it's, I mean, and this is difficult for every team, but if you look at other countries, including the Americans, they have a U.S. national program. 
set up in Plymouth, that plays in the MSHL, that has these players, for the most part, building some form of chemistry at a younger age. Yeah, they're under 17, sure. But those under 17 players, chances are a large majority of them are playing in World Juniors upcoming years. Rucker McGordy, who is the captain of the Americans, Winnipeg Jets prospect, is doing a tremendous job putting and keeping those Americans on track. You can't expect a 17-year-old named Macklin Celebrini, who might be the number one pick overall this year, a 17-year-old nonetheless, to lead this team without any type of leadership in front of him. Anybody that wore an A or a C for Canada did not lead this team. I'm sorry to say that. Nobody stepped up to the plate and said, listen up, guys, we need to figure this out. And that starts from the top. Their coaching staff was irrelevant. You're getting outcoached by a Chechia team. You're getting outcoached by every single team that had any type of, any type of, what's the word I'm looking for? Seniority. What about that? Canada beat one team that was considered a potential good team in Finland. And they beat them 5-2 in the first game. They lost to the Americans in the pre-round robin. They lost to Sweden. They lost to Chechia. And they didn't play Russia because they weren't there. So really, what are we hanging this Canadian team on? The fact that they beat teams that they were supposed to beat? Or the fact that they didn't play up to the caliber of hockey they were supposed to play? Considering they had nine first-round picks and 17 second- and third-round picks combined? So I'll leave that up to you know consideration, Joe. But it, the, like I said at the beginning, we can go on and on about this that worked and this didn't work. They got beat by a team that got a lucky bounce, 11 seconds in the left in the third period. They went off a shin pad, off a goal post, and it. If that goal didn't happen with 11 seconds left in the third and it went to overtime, would it have been a different story? I don't know. But at least it would have been a more, uh, more compounding story. Because, yes, it did happen in overtime. Yes, it was a good goal. Or, yes, it was a good play. Instead, it was an unlucky bounce that forced Canada to not continue into semifinal and final rounds in the World Juniors. Am I upset? I'm just upset because I can't get up early in the morning to watch hockey. But at the same time, I get some sleep. Yeah, I guess there's a good and bad with everything. Uh, I mean, a little more sleep won't hurt anyone. That's for sure. The Canadians, um, were, the, the Canadians weren't even favored to go out of the top three. I mean, you had the Americans, the Swedes, and the Finns. And you had, and you had Chechi in there, four. I mean, it was I mean well, they weren't even in the same group as the, as the Americans. Okay. So, not saying that helped anything, but still. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... Like I said, you just had those three things not going for it. You didn't have the leadership, the chemistry. You didn't have somebody come up and say, you know what? I need to lead this team. Nobody stepped up to the plate. They had tremendous Canadian Hockey League goal scoring. Like nine first rounders. Okay? Regardless, like these guys can put points. Like the top line of Matt Savoy, Connor Geeky, and Max Borges Put up 100 points each combined last year. For each. So 300 points combined over. They didn't even score 10 points altogether in six games. And it's all, it all comes down to goaltending. Mm. Right? I mean, it's only the end of... Canada only played one goaltender. I mean, you play the hot hand. 
And was Rousseau a hot hand? Yeah, absolutely. He had a 930 save percentage. He had a 145, 175 goals against. If you have a goalie that's letting in only less than two goals a game, your team should score more than two goals every game. The Canadians should be able to score two goals, no problem, every game. The problem is Chechia scored a goal with 11 seconds left in the third to beat them 3 2. Hey, that's how the game works, right? Unlucky bounces here and there. I mean, you're going to get them. So, um, so the U.S. plays Finland, I think, on the fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. So that that should be a good game. Um, There's two great games in the semis. Like these these four teams are supposed to be here. Uh, the other game, what is it? You could have flip-flopped Canada and Finland, but Finland is playing much better hockey now than they were compared to the first game. They're playing their best hockey in this junior championship right now. So the Americans need to play fast. They need to play good neutral zone play, defensive neutral zone play. And their goalie really hasn't been that tested this this championship either. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and one guy who really has lit it up for the U.S. is Singles Blues, Blues Prospect. Jimmy Snuggerud. I mean, this guy, back-to-back World Juniors, where he's the talk of Team USA. And will that propel him into maybe making a Blues roster next year? I mean, this is getting to the point where you almost need to see what this guy can do. I mean, you don't want to rush him to you, but you also see this. He's playing like a man among boys here. He is mature, absolutely. Second time round, you're always going to be better your second time round. Right, right. I mean, you look at Goche, you look at McGordy, you look at guys, Nazar, for example. Like Those four guys uh, are really playing their better hockey right now as compared to in the beginning of the championship. You also remember that the World Junior Championship is a different style of hockey. And, again, I'm not making an excuse, but you look at how that game is played on the wider ice with very less checking, I mean minimal checking, there is such a focus on slashing and trippings and cross-checkings because there is no big hits. I mean, Connor Geeky got a five-minute penalty and a game misconduct 12 seconds into a game because he demolished a player. I don't know if you saw the highlights of this or not, but Levis, he just crushed a defenseman who's 5'11". Well, Connor Geeky is 6'4". So the penalty, some people say, is because he was a bigger guy and he's hitting a smaller guy. Like, the physical play is is frowned upon in the World Juniors. And it allows for more open ice play. And it's a, it, that game doesn't compute or translate to a National Hockey League-style game anymore. Well, the National Hockey League-style game has changed because it's not as checking as it used to be, though. It has a smaller ice still. You have less ice to play with, and you Snugger Root is 20. You won't be 20 years old for a little bit still. Jack Neighbors, talk to Jack Neighbors and ask him how he's doing after he finished his two championships with Canada and now playing with St. Louis. And now Snugger is going to do the same thing probably next year, but it's going to take a couple of years for him to get used to playing against 28 year old men, 30 year old men. They lean on the stick a little differently. I mean, you have the Blues have seven guys, and I don't know if you got to listen to any of my interview with Luke Horak. They have seven guys in yeah. this 
World Junior Championship. The two on Sweden in their two first-round picks this year. Yeah. Stenberg and I forget who else, but uh, the one with your name kind of piques my interest. He's actually been pretty good in this uh, <laughs> in the World Junior Championship. I haven't been watching games per se, but I've been keeping an eye on like stats and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these guys are showing why they're first-round picks. And it's great to see from a St. Louis Blues point of view because while it's kind of a down season now, this isn't a full-on seven, eight-year rebuild. This is a retool, and these guys can be coming up quick. Yeah, I mean, especially the guys who have been in this, been in the uh, system for a bit, like a well, a Bull Duke Dean was just acquired last year, but Bull Duke Dean Snuggerud. I mean, it's the future is bright. Let's just put it that way. If you have seven guys in one World Juniors, that tells you you're doing something right as an organization. There's a potential for this young group of kids to develop into a mature core for the St. Louis Blues. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, exactly. So um, what time is that U.S. game tomorrow? Uh, I don't know if it's the 10.30 game or not, but it's in the, it's in the morning because they're playing in – overseas so it'll be before noon or around noon i'll have to check the sketch if you give me a minute i'll give you a second you keep talking then so i i've i've been watching the blues lately and two things i want to bring up you score in a power play you don't score five on five you score five on five you don't score in a power play this team doesn't have a like an even ground here. It's either one or the other. And you can't blame it necessarily on goaltending because Jordan Bennington's had to stand on his head every damn night. Joe Hofer's actually looked better as of late. You know, we were starting to question him early on. Now, he's a guy that you can lean on maybe as a backup. Is he a number one goaltender in this league? I don't know. I really don't know yet. You know where Joe Hofer's from, right? Yeah, Winnipeg. That that is why I'm at. at you know what? Since you said that, it, will he be a number one in, in this league? Yes or no? You know he's he's got the skills. He's got the work ethic. I mean, it's a tremendous goal. He's a goaltender that works really really hard. Um, he's. I mean, yeah, he's got. I mean, he's got the. He's got that Carter Hart aspect to him. He has that fire like a Bennington. With a little bit more composure, the Joe Hofer has the opportunity to do that if he can remain consistent, and I think that's what we've seen in goaltending, especially this year, with goal goal save percentage dropping to almost below 900. I think it's at 903 right now, which is incredible when you consider how the game has changed. Goaltenders aren't saving the puck as much as they used to. Three or four years ago, they had a much higher save percentage. I think it was 912 as an average in starting goaltenders. Now it's down to 903. And you could thank guys like Eric Comrie and Ilya Samsonov, who both got put on waivers this past week. But, you know, guys like Hofer, um, Georgiev, these guys, like, just in those two, for example, Bobrovsky, like, the, the elite goaltenders are still playing at elite settings. But, there's a lot more mediocrity showing up and we're starting to see four or five goals against scored on 30 shots, which is not, which is your sub 900 save percentage. 
Um, you know, and it and it ties into whether or not your team is playing a defense first game or struggling with playing defense. And I think if you want to talk about your St. Louis Blues, I think that has been a cause of concern because, yeah, their save percentage hasn't been the strongest of late. They have been flip-flopping between Hofer and Bennington, but it starts in front of them, and their defense just hasn't been, you know, the stellar. I mean, they're 5-3 and three under their new coach, like you said. Um, they don't have all five coming back, like in the Ruby style, but you, you can't expect all your forwards to think defense first. You need them to score. Like, in order to score, win games, you need to score pucks. Yeah, and they're not even scoring right now. Like it's yeah. it's getting it's getting rather ridiculous. The you know? I mean, yeah, this isn't the most talented roster out there by any means because you got Colorado, Dallas, Winnipeg, even who are now 11, 11 and we're no eleven and one uh, through this point in January since the beginning of December. I mean, that's that's amazing. But getting back to the Blues, they're not scoring five on five. And you got to wonder, what what kind of mindset do you have in that room right now? You know, we talked about this a couple of months ago, about finding your identity. And this Blues team still hasn't gotten one. And there's, and there's your focus. You don't have, you don't have Captain Shen delivering on his speech. Well, you and don't you don't have, have Captain Shen delivering on the ice either. Well, Ten games in a row without a point, Theo. Well, it's not as bad as Johnny Hubert, but let's not go there. But I, I know, I know. But, Theo, from a Blues point of view, you need your captain to be scoring. Um, or at least, at least being up. When I say scoring, I don't mean scoring goals. I mean scoring, period. Assists, goals. Okay, uh, so, taking it, taking a hit to make a play. You're not seeing these guys hit even. Yeah, I'll, I agree with that. You you need you need to have that player that fills the voids when the voids are there. It, it seems it seems like it seems like in today's game, especially Blues hockey, it seems more like ice dancing than hockey. You're not winning board battles. You're not winning puck battles. Period. No matter if they're on the boards or not. You can't get the puck out of your own zone. And and if you listen to the Korak interview again, um, it's on iTunes, Spotify, like every podcast we do on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. But he said it's not necessarily a defensive problem there, Theo. Look at your forwards, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying ice the puck a lot, but there are ways to flip the puck to center ice and relieve the play, especially when you have guys like Thomas and Cairo playing a minute 20 on a shift. You can't have that happening, man. You want these guys to perform to their potential? You're going to need 30 second, maybe a minute shift. Maybe. But that would mean getting puck control. That would mean getting puck down the ice. You're throwing a shotgun at it now. Give it. Give this team, Joe, give them. No, I can't give them much more time, Theo. I can't. I'm not not saying time. I'm saying, Joe, give them one thing because it starts with one. If you're you're the ultimate procrastinator, if you have seven things on the go without. Right, right. But what I'm saying is start by getting out of your own zone. 
think start- of one thing that this team has to do to start putting W's in the column and less L's. One okay. thing. Give me that one thing. Start I know what I puck- would say. Start getting a puck out of your own zone. Okay. Start by getting a puck out of your own zone smoothly. Okay. There have been so many times. I'm sure you've seen highlights and how goals happen against the St. Louis Blues, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, so I'm going to go on the offensive and mention something that you've brought up several times on this show, and the fact that your power play is non-existent. That is the thing that needs to be fixed. I'm not looking from an overall percentage, but starting January 1st, three days ago, Start focusing on how you make your power play better. You probably have on average between three to five opportunities to score. And you should put at least one to two in a night. And if you can improve that stat, see how well this team goes. That is the one thing I would focus on. Okay. Yeah, that that's a big thing to focus on. I just, there's a lot of things for me. And I just, I know you said to not to shotgun it. Just one. Yeah. You're taking yep. the getting the puck out of the zone. I'm taking fix the power play. Okay. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. So um we could talk hockey for the rest of the show if we want, but there's a lot of things that we need to cover. Well, not a lot of things, but a big thing coming up. And uh and I feel officiating. Um it's a joke. It's a joke. I don't know if you saw the ending of that Detroit-Dallas debacle. I don't even call that a game. I call that a debacle. Um, Theo, I, I could say a lot of things here. I'm just going to let you let you go free reign. Go. You, okay. tell me what you, you tell me what you saw, and I'll report to you. I saw a ref not, uh, not paying attention to someone trying to report. He's been reporting. Seventies reported the whole game. Sixty-eight was trying to report. He was in his face, and the referee act like he didn't want to see him. The biggest, and and then the flag. The timing of the flag, Theo, pisses me off. You had what five, ten seconds after the play, and then the flag was thrown. Yeah, and it was the wrong call to begin with. You know I hate screaming on it. Well, no, I don't. When when something pisses me off, I will scream, but it won't be often. Um, you're absolutely what, right. The NFL, man, what are they doing? And then they're putting these guys on an on a uh, primetime national TV game. They're doing that game in uh, in Baltimore. Wait, yeah, Baltimore. Friday night between the Steelers and Ravens. Saturday night. There, I, I don't understand it. Why do these guys keep getting chances? There have been countless plays where these guys have made the wrong call. Go let's, ahead, Theo. Let's go back to the – like. you're absolutely right. I mean, all game players are supposed to find the guy in the white hat and report each play if they are eligible or not. And Jared Goff specifically told – those players to go find the guy in the white hat, go report this next play, which they physically went within five feet, closer than five feet of the man in the white hat, and reported to everybody watching that game through the video, all that stuff. All you see 
is the ump look this way, give a slight nod, and then go back. Everybody sees it. The media, national television, they've slowed it down frame by frame. He makes eye contact. Now, whether or not, now the, the problem I have with it is owning up to making that mistake. But he can't make that call, owning up to his mistake, because he did it on the field and the rationalization as to why he pulled the flag. And that is where I have issues because um, he did a disservice to the Detroit Lions. An absolute disservice to the Detroit Lions. And they should have won that game. Because all images, all body language, all words that were said, except for the rationalization of why the flag threw, does not measure up. And Coach Campbell has every right to be upset. Uh, the Detroit Lions had every reason to be upset. That call was not made properly. That call should not have been made. You want to talk about, you, you know, it's completely, um, it's it's a, it's a missed call. It's a botched call. It's like, remember when, I don't know which umpire it was in baseball, and when they called the no-hitter, the no-non-hitter, because they called them safe at first, that happened a couple of years ago, and they stole a no-hitter from the pitcher, and he was clearly out. This is the same thing. Like, it's a clear presentation of players following the rules, doing what they need to get done so they can play by the rules that each team plays with, the same set of rules. However, the Dallas Cowboys aren't playing with that same set of rules because the ref, the man in white hat, decided to rule against the Detroit Lions. And giving them a second chance, I don't understand. Um, I mean, yeah, we're human. Yeah, we make errors. But you can you could have easily gone back to video review and said, you know what? Yeah, we made the wrong call. Two-point conversion is good. Game is over. Yeah. Unless it's a non-reviewable call. But, hey, you know what? You can put your hat down and say, you know what? Yeah, I made a terrible call. I made a missed call. I only thought I only heard seventy report, not sixty-eight. You could say that as well. Um, it's not life and death, thankfully, because the Detroit Lions are still finishing first in the NFC North, I believe. So for them, it's okay. It's more for the Dallas Cowboys because they're fighting with Philadelphia in a top spot. But to each the room. <sighs> Oh, man, just just terrible, terrible, terrible call. Um, and there have been countless plays with the same crew that have, you know, screwed teams. So I'll be excited to watch that game in uh, Baltimore to see what play they screw up next or if they actually don't screw up any plays and it's actually down, called down the middle. We'll see. Okay. Look at me. I sound like I'm talking about a special guest referee in a WWE match. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, it is what it is, man. Just terrible, terrible to even think about because it's it's basically the talk of every ta uh, TV talk show or sports TV talk show. It's, it's bad. So, uh, Theo, 
Week 18, man. I, I, I can't believe it's here. You got two games Saturday. Um, one game of Steelers and Ravens, like we talked about before, with that same crew. Who do you got? I mean, Mark ja- or not, Lamar Jackson last week proved that he is the MVP of this league this year. I mean, talk about a guy that represented himself, got a new contract, bet on himself, and told everybody that he was going to do all this. And he's writing the book on doing such things. Uh, you know, and Lamar Jackson deserves every reason and every right to be the MVP this year. At the same time, let's look on the other side. And Mike Tomlin is something I, something I discussed with somebody yesterday. He's probably one of a select few of coaches. Obviously, he's been the long, one of the longest tenured, if not the longest tenured coach in the NFL right now. But he is one of the only coaches that still coaches the game from what he sees, as opposed to using charts and analytics and this and that and the other. And he coaches the game based on what he sees on the field. He's got a, a backup quarterback and a lights-out defense that performs well, but I still see Lamar Jackson and the Ravens doing things to that Steelers defense that can be seen. And I don't see Mason Rudolph really putting up more than 14 points. So I'm going to take the Ravens. Yeah, I got to take the Ravens. If this was in Pittsburgh, you know, you can't bet against Pittsburgh at home. But, yeah, it's it's in Baltimore. I'm going Ravens. Uh, You got the uh, Texans and Colts. I mean, Indianapolis. Minshew versus Stroud. I mean, you never would say that in Week 18. You never say, are you kidding me? But the Indianapolis Colts are in a hunt for a playoff spot. They need this win. And I think they're going to do everything they can to get this win. And uh, I think they'll do enough. I I think they'll beat the Texans. I'm going to go Texans. Yeah. Because Gardner Minshew, there's a reason why he would never stuck as a number one. And that's a good call, too. I mean, Gardner has played, I think they've won four of their last five games, and he's won the last couple. So, you're looking for that letdown game, whereas Houston came in and they beat up Carolina pretty bad last weekend. So they're going up on a high. And C.J. Stroud is truly showing that he is a rookie of the year. Absolutely. So I think it'll be an entertaining game to watch. I just think Indianapolis needs it more, so they're going to play a little bit better. Jaguars-Titans. Jags. Jags, yep. Vikings, Lions. I think Detroit's going to – I mean, I don't think Minnesota's going to do much. I think they're pretty much cashed it in. I think their bags are already packed, to be honest with you. That locker room is going to empty out pretty quickly after that game. I think Detroit's going to prove a point that uh, they messed around. They they, they kind of poked the line, if you know, for metaphorically speaking. And the Lions going to bite back. Yep, I agree with that sentiment. Uh, Falcons, Saints. I mean, the Atlanta Falcons have been an absolute embarrassment. And 
the amount of upside they had this year, having Pitts, Bijan, and Riddler, and they don't have any of that going on right now, is so sad that there's nothing to be, I mean, we won't talk about my Chargers, but outside of, you know, New Orleans losing this game because they lose it on themselves, I can't see New Orleans losing this game. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I seem to agree with you a lot, but yeah, hi, New Orleans. Um, Jets and Patriots. Don't care. You got to make a pick, Theo. No, not you're not Jets. doing this. I'll, I'll take the Jets because I don't think I'm gonna, I think really the Patriots are, again, a lost team and their bags are already, their, their dressing is already cleaned up. Yep, Jets. Yep. Buccaneers, Panthers, Bucks. Yeah. Uh, Browns, Bengals. This ought to be good. Yeah, Browns, Bengals. This ought to be good. You know, it would be a whole lot better if we had Deshaun and uh, Joe Burrow playing. But we've got Jay Flack. And, yeah, uh, but still going to be good. I think Jake Browning's been Yep, I'm going to go Cleveland as well. By the way, before I go any further, first time Detroit and Cleveland both had 10-plus wins in 70 years. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> Just think think about that. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, hard nose. So, just ball. just a little bit, little nugget there. Yeah, still nugget. Bears, Packers. Interesting, and I say that because conversations are you know obviously swirling about the fact that uh, the Chicago Bears have a huge decision to make this year, this upcoming off season. And the question isn't about, are you going to draft a quarterback first overall? The question should be, and this is brought up by an ex-GM in the NFL, should we be paying Justin Fields 40 to $50 million over the next, for the next four years? Is that an investment the Chicago Bears are yes. willing to make versus drafting another quarterback? You're saying yes. Well... They, they should be willing to make that. They should be willing to make that. Justin Fields has shown a lot this year. Mm -hmm. If you put weapons around him, he's an 11-12-1 quarterback. I, I, I'm telling you if, you, if you put weapons around him, he is an 11 or 12-1 quarterback. Period. And you know what? I think, I think you have the – I think you have every reason – to give Justin Fields at least two or four more years. Absolutely, yes. I mean, you think what you can do with those first-round picks or an opportunity to trade down for that first overall. I do, not want, give, I do not want Clay, uh, Caleb Williams. I do not want him. I wouldn't draft Caleb Williams. And I'll get to that later if we have time, but I would not draft Caleb Williams. I would keep Justin Fields as well. And I say that because there is a lot of talent in those top 10 picks right now where if you pick up one, maybe two of them, you're, like you said, giving weapons and protection to Justin Fields. 
And I think Justin Fields needs to solidify that in this last game against Green Bay. If he wins this game, it shows that he is playing at a level through all of this, you know, whatever's going on in the Chicago Bears locker room, their front office, their lack of weapons. He's still there to perform. So Bears or Packers? Bears. I'm going Green Bay because it's at home, but okay. I can see where that, uh, where you would pick the Bears. Um, but which, by the way, in this part of the states, we don't even get to watch it. And I'll get to the game that we are going to be showing in a second: um, Cowboys and Commanders. Cowboys, with or without the refs, Cowboys. I'm going to go Cowboys. Yeah, Cowboys. Uh, Broncos, Raiders. You know, the Broncos. I mean, as Sean Payton's got that team thinking whatever is going to work, is he's finally got the team working with them without uh, Russell Wilson. And, yeah, Sean Payton's got that team winning. Take the, take the Broncos. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go Broncos. Uh, Eagles, Eagles, Giants. What's with the Eagles? Like, I mean, this yeah, is where I, a team needs to... I don't get that either. I, I it... This is where a team needs to show that they are going up on a high, yet they lose last week. So they have to win. They need that rebound this week against the Giants. And, yeah, I see the Eagles coming through, but... Jalen Hurts has to find his game quickly because he is not playing at that MVP caliber like he did last year. Um, I don't care how much he squats. I don't care how many tush pushes that Philadelphia has. He needs to be a better quarterback for that Eagles team. He he does. That's for sure. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Eagles because I, they need this game in the worst way just to go into the playoffs on a high. Um, so, uh, Seahawks, Cardinals. Well, I mean, I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see Arizona, I'd like to see the Cardinals win. I really would. Um, nothing against I really would like to see uh, Kyler Murray have a great day. Yep. So, I'm going to go Cardinals as well. Uh, you got the Rams and 49ers. 49ers. Niners. It'll be yep. closer than we think. Uh, Chiefs, and, Chiefs and Chargers. This is the game we're going to be shown in this area on CBS at 325 and not the Bears and Packers. For whatever reason, I have no freaking idea. That's a big game. Huge game. Lots of implications in this game. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we could be showing the Bears and Packers where the Packers could potentially make the playoffs. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that, uh, that, that makes total sense, NFL. Yeah. Okay. If you were going to tell me that you were going to start this game or show this game, I don't know who week runs. Two. Yeah. If you were telling me week one, you had to make this decision. Yeah. That, that, yes, go. Go, go give your head a shake. 
That's all I'm going to say. Go give your head a shake. Because Bears and Packers, I'd rather watch Bears and Packers. In fact, I might find somewhere to go watch that game instead of Chiefs, Chiefs Chargers. Yeah. Because that that's that's awful. I mean, Sandy, the, Sandy, the LA and, Chargers is such a sad state of affairs. Um, it is because you have a great quarterback. Well, I, uh, granted, he's hurt. I get it, Theo. He's hurt. But you have a great quarterback. You have great, great weapons around him. You kept your coach for way too damn long. And you wonder why you suck? Okay. No. In fact, how many times has Theo said on this show, for anyone listening to this, how many times has he said, Brandon Staley, how, why does he still have a job? For the life of me, I don't know why he has a job. How many times has he said that? How many times do you think you've said that over this year, Theo? I said at the end of last year. I said it when they <laughs> lost to the Jaguars. I know, but playoffs. during this season. Every week. During this season, you've said it a lot. Yeah. Every week. Every week. It's So, uh, I'm going to go Chiefs. Yeah. Here's an interesting stat. And this is why Kansas City is struggling right now. Patrick Mahomes has more interceptions than Baker Mayfield. He has only, you ready for this stat? 15 passes farther than 20 yards in the season. Desmond Ritter has 18. 15, Falcons. 15 passes longer than 20 yards for Mahomes? This year. Wow. That's a crazy so stat. Defenses, so, so defenses have been playing and destroying the front 20 on the box. They need a you, home I run mean, well, they Theo, they, they do. They do. And, and the thing is, you can blame a lot of that, a lot of those receivers, but you can also blame, for the most part, MVS, former Packer receiver. Can't hang on to a ball to save his life. Neither can Kadarius Tony. Neither, I mean, and they're they're doubling, even tripling. Tra they're tripling Travis Kelsey too, because they know they know. I bet Taylor. I bet. Ta Go ahead. They know the tendencies, Joe. They know that they're going to zone in on Pacheco and Kelsey. They know MVS can't hold the bar. Tony doesn't stay on side. So where else does Mahomes have to throw to? They got rid of, I mean, is Maybe. Juju's not there anymore. So where are you going to throw the ball? Rashi Rice. He, he is someone that can spread the field, but they don't put him in a position to do so. They don't, and there was also somebody wanting the Chiefs to maybe, if they need a good receiver to sign him. I don't know if you heard about this one. I don't know how much truth this is, but I saw this online. It was kind of funny. Um, Antonio Brown. <laughs> I mean, Joe, I do it. Joe, all it needs is one 40-yard catch. All it needs is that threat to go downfield for seven once or twice a game. At least he'd hold on to the ball because 
I've seen probably four touchdowns. And like you said earlier, MVS cannot catch the ball. He's like Featherstone from Necessary Roughness. Can he catch the ball? No. Because it's gone through his hands. At least I've seen four of them in the last four or five weeks. Like he runs, he runs faster than anybody. He can out jump a kangaroo, but he can't hold on to the ball. Yep. Pretty sad. Pretty sad indeed for the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, Bills, Dolphins on Sunday night. You know, Daniel's got to get this team, get this Dolphins team ready for the playoffs. And I think as much as you want to keep them healthy, you need them to start playing Dolphin football. And I think Buffalo is in a bit of trouble because they're inconsistent. And we've seen that inconsistency with Josh Allen all year. They haven't won 10 yet, but at the same time, the Dolphins lost last week too. So you got to go in week 18 with a win. And I think the Dolphins will do it more so than Buffalo. But Buffalo has shown me other things as well. And I think they need to get a they need a win big time too. So it's who's gonna want it more. And I think Tua can go lights out on that Buffalo secondary. I'm gonna go Buffalo. I'm gonna go Buffalo in that one. Yeah. All right, there's the last well, not the last week of picks. We have playoff picks and everything else. Uh, but we will leave the NFL there. Let's go to college because you got the national championship game happening on Monday between the Washington Huskies and the Michigan Wolverines. Um, so, you know, pretty dominating win, I'd say, by Washington. I wasn't expecting that. I thought Texas would be ha- be more of a game for Washington. I mean, it, it was they both were great games. Um, and they were great games, came. but you could tell who was going to win. I mean, uh, you could tell in that in that Texas game that Texas wasn't wasn't ready to deliver at the most opportune time. Unlike did Michigan watch, and the other game. Did you watch that game? Yes, I did. I watched both. So if you watch the beginning, so before the game even started, Steve Sarskisian who has taken is now third year in Texas going from a five and eight team to a 12 and one team. He said it perfectly. He said, if we get behind Washington and play catch up the entire game, it will take too much energy for us and we won't win. So right then and there, he claimed defeat. I would have ran straight to every sports book possible and bet the house on Washington. Because right then and there, as great of a coach as Steve Scarkisian is, he's already put that element of defeat in his head. And look what happened Should've in the game. Should have done that. You know, but, it's but hard. That, but it's if hard. anybody on the team, if anybody on the team sees that, Theo, that, that's game over for them. It's like, but you know what, why am I even was, trying? Was asked, the question was asked poorly. And I think that... Um, Steve could have easily answered that question differently. Um, It was hard. I mean, every single time Washington scored, Texas had to play catch-up. Washington scored, 
Texas had to play catch up. And in the third quarter, it was after the first half, it was 21 apiece. Third quarter, Washington scored 13 to zero, and they were able to hold on to the win. I mean, Texas, again, tried to come back. They were 13 seconds more short of a touchdown, but, you know, they just couldn't play catch up anymore to a Washington Husky team who I think is very underrated. Um, you know, for a college program like that, I mean, everything is stacked. I mean, wouldn't it be the most amazing Cinderella story, Joe, if you had an undefeated team who goes undefeated during the regular season and the playoffs from the Pac-12, which we will never see again for a very long time, and a player who has come back from not one but two ACL injuries in a quarterback position and has thrown as many yards or most or is the most amount of yards in CFB Division One since Patrick Mahomes win the national championship. That's all on one side, the Cinderella story versus Jim Harbaugh, who got a sniff of it last year but kind of fell a little bit short. Had an amazing undefeated season again. Taking out the big boys like Ohio State and Alabama. Won the Big Ten. Has layers and layers of offense and defense prowess. Like you think you get past one, but you don't get past two and three and four. They come in waves. And I think, you know, I really think that they got these teams right. You know, I said at the beginning, you could have probably taken Texas out and put Georgia in. And Georgia and Washington would have been a good match. Alabama, Michigan would have been a good match. But that's in hindsight, right? Washington, I mean, Michael Penix throws an amazing ball. Like, you can't deny that. He has three receivers that already average 100 yards per game. He threw for over 400 yards against Texas. Texas looked like the bigger team. Like they looked bigger, meaner, faster. But for whatever reason, Michael Penix laid balls out. And they just kept scoring. Will that offense be able to score points on Michigan's defense? Both teams have never faced a game like this in their life, player-wise. Both teams will make mistakes on Monday night. Which team makes more mistakes will lose the game. Because on paper, they're fantastic teams. So the question is, do you take the school – that is a Cinderella style, Cinderella game, but played underrated football their entire season? Or do you take the team that has the coach, was there last year, and has always been a predominant football program now back to the top of the mountain in Michigan? That's up to you. So who do you got? <laughs> Who do you got? I just laid it out like that. You take um, well. Out. 
I'm going to go Michigan. I, I got to go experience here. You lose a game. You get so close last year. You get to the championship game this year. This is redemption for Michigan. Now, could I see it going the other way? Yes, but I'm sticking Michigan. And just to be different, I'll take Washington. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, it's it's going to be the team that makes – I mean, I, Michigan was a yard from losing that game against Alabama. A yard. That botched catch on that last kick was ridiculous. Because if that ball went in the end zone after being touched, that's a safety. That's a win for Bama. Oh, my God. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, it, that looked like it went in, but – Stopped at the one yard. I mean, that possession on the one yard line, and he was able to get outside of that end zone. Thankfully, for Michigan, because if he took it one yard back and went into the end zone, that's a safety. That's done. And for Washington, if they had another minute on that clock and Texas had a first down on the thirteen, who knows what would happen? But that's why you play the game. That's why you enjoy watching the game. That's why you expect those storylines, those nuances, those changes of momentum to occur. Because that's what happens at the college game that doesn't happen as much at the professional level. So one thing I want to say before we get out of here, I don't know if you noticed this, Theo, but in that Bama game, I noticed Bama's center with these terrible snaps. Was it the pressure of the situation? Was he like, what do you think that was? I mean, I could count five or six. Five or six. Even more than that. 20. Yeah. Like the last, I mean, I as much as we want to look at Milfro and how terrible of a decision that was, fourth and one last play to go up the middle, but everything set up to it made it the worst play possible. There was no motion at the line. You didn't know what the defense was playing. The snap was low. He rushed into his decision thinking, oh, my gosh, I have no time. I got just got to run forward. And he did all of that, slamming his helmet on the ground and realizing he threw for zero touchdowns and zero interceptions all game. Well, the zero interceptions are good, but no touchdowns yet. That's brutal. He had 131 yards passing all game. Like, that is for, for a – Top four program and Bama's weapons, that is ridiculous. And, yeah, you're right. The snaps played a huge part of that because it was inconsistent all game. Could it be nerves? Did he have something on his hand? I don't know. Look for that sound spot somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, Theo, you got anything before we get out of here? Yeah. I mean, a huge thing happening in the new year here with the Professional Women's Hockey League. I don't know if you've caught any wind of this or not, but the women's program finally started to get um, its first season under its belt. 16s, lots of great action, lots of great stars coming out, good support by the NHL. And most importantly, it's about time. Quite frankly, it's good to uh, uh, see that the PWHL is starting and we're starting to see a lot of great talent on the women's side. Hopefully it's something that can build momentum. Hopefully it's something that they can build on after this year. 
I do not want to see this candle burn out at all. I want it to grow and I want it to grow momentum as much as possible because this part of the game needs it more than anything. And I feel that it is a good start to do so now. Very good point to finish on. Mine, let's go UFL. <laughs> Hopefully this is a uh, start of something really good uh, with The Rock purchasing it. it well, with the, this rendition of the XFL and the Uf USFL. Uh, the merger, do you like the merger? Well, I mean, it's stupid to have two leagues competing in a non in an off season for the NFL. That's garbage. Number two, you couldn't have a better hype man right now than The Rock doing this. I mean, he's on WWE Raw. He's on College Game Day. He's on Football Sunday. He has the ambassadors of Howie Long and stuff from Fox NFL. I mean, this guy is, you know, a champion at promotion. And I hope that the UFL does some things. I would love to see the UFL and the CFL not merge, but create some sort of uh, partnership for players to allow to play on both sides of the border. I think that would be a tremendous thing to do because the UFL runs till what, the end of June or something like that? Yeah, or, and the thing know. is, that would be great. The CFL and the UFL, actually, that merger would be cool too. It would that be, merger would be awesome. A merger. It's different rules, but at least – you know, and it's hard because now the now the seasons are folding over because the CFL starts in the last week of May, so that kind of wouldn't that would defeat the purpose. But there's uh, going to be some yeah. players moving back and forth. You might see some transfers involved here. You might see something occurring over the next several years where, you know what, it's a different breed of player, and I, I want to see how the UFL is based on players that aren't the same as NFL or CFL players. Yeah. So we shall see what happens on that front for Theo. I'm Joe. Thank you guys for watching until next watching or listening. I should say uh, until next week, have a great rest of your week into your weekend. See ya.